0: like Bernie mac said what's up you
1: squares? i'm in here
0: let's pull up this uncle nears and let's get into this conversation
2: yeah
0: dj gonna get it out because dj wanted to say like he wanted to pull that Bernie mac line out a couple of times
2: say this is some boo man some bullshit <laughs> man hey wait we're not recording are we oh yes we are yes <laughs> no nah, nah, let's start off this is nah, the after show no nah.
0: No, <laughs> this is, no. <laughs> this is the after show, my man. <laughs> I am already. I have already beginning of the after show. Yeah, uh, I've already taken my first sip, brother. Um, so let's dive into the conversation to uh to drive the boat, as they say. Hmm. Um, Jamel Hill made. You know, she wrote an article, I believe, is is where where it came from. She wrote an article where she suggested the notion that black athletes should start migrating and going back to HBCUs. Now, in the realm of political correctness, as you all know, a lot of people took issue with this because it was... Because people can easily deduce, based off of small snippets, that they can frame things in the terms of, okay, so now she being... uh, I guess I guess we can use the word "'segregationist" in a sense, to now oh oh, now we want to segregate ourselves. Mm. Now, all three of us are products of HBCUs, and we are very, very, very proud of whenceforth we have come. I know for a fact myself, I will lie on the sword that is Tuskegee University. Um, and I'm pretty sure DJ Will and I'm pretty sure Doc, Dr. Levin will lie on the floor of this Morehouse College, both illustrious, fine Ivy League institutions known across the world for the uh, for the ingenuity and the magic that they produce. Mm-hmm. This is it true. But I know for a fact at during my matriculation there I meaning black people, we were not the only ones on campus getting our educations at these institutes of higher learning. There's quite a significant portion of non-people of color that go to these institutions as well. So, I bring up the point because just because we are saying, hey, black athletes, take your talents home in a sense because that's where it came from take your talents home people now assume that we are automatically excluding non-black people now here's another fact and i'm gonna call it a fact because until until i proved wrong i'm gonna say it's a fact i was at tuskegee for a total of five years i was born and raised in tuskegee so i've been in tuskegee and been around tuskegee's athletics and all the teams that we've played for 30 plus of years. I've seen a black kicker maybe three years out of the 30-something. All of our kickers were non-black. So we didn't exclude non-black athletes. No. So, but that's when the conversation comes about where it's just because I've made a statement Once it is taken completely out of context, it can be discredited as a whole, and now everyone can assume that I am this monolith of what my entire statement is. Mind you, like I said, she wrote a whole article about this, explaining her point in depth, saying these are the reasons behind my saying this, but they they, they created a soundbite, basically, of black folk go to black schools. And just because I say that now, I am automatically excluding everyone who is non-black.
1: Yeah. And, and I mean, it's funny, when you say black schools... Um, th- uh- I think the first little bit of outrage that comes from people comes from a place of of, of complete and utter ignorance because they're like, well, if we had still white schools, and uh, then then there would be an outrage. First of all, the only reason they are historically black, and that's historical that that H is very important in the process, is because there were whites-only colleges. As a matter of fact, the lion's share of all of the schools were whites-only when we talked about uh, institutions of higher learning, and that's why we had to make the Morehouses and the Tuskegee's of the world. And And also, you know, for the people who who always look for uh, white contribution in these things, I'm sure there'll be some some really great movies that could be made about the white people who really were influential in uh, building up HBCUs. But it wasn't just uh, black people who were instrumental in, in the growth of these institutions. There were white people who understood that it was important for uh, African-Americans to be educated because we were such a large percentage of the population that you couldn't afford for people to just be suffering in in any form of ignorance. And African-American people at that time also recognized this themselves. And one of the first things that we pursued once it was legal to do so, and quiet is kept even before it was legal to do so, was education. Every single way that we could get after it, we would get after it. And we were so extraordinarily serious about education because it was a thing that could be, you know, that if you had, it could result in your death in in the South that, uh, you know, that was the seat these HBCUs were the seat of the civil rights movement. That's where a lot of, that's where uh, um, the lion's share of the civil rights leaders came from and were educated um, were, were in these HBCUs. But that H is important, and here's why. With uh, with Miss Hill's article, the fact is a powerful thing that, you know, Black students considering something that could be extraordinarily edifying for them going to an HBCU and then also the um the resources that could come with top-notch athletes coming to these schools. But you know what? It doesn't just have to be black athletes. Top-notch white athletes, y'all are welcome too. You can be a white Warhouse man. I mess them outstanding ones. We've actually had some student uh council members and but I think even the president one time a valedictorian who um who's a, a, a white Morehouse man. And you are welcome there, you're welcome at Tuskegee too, to make to make a great impact um on on all people in this country by helping to build up institutions that are willing to also help build you up. So that I'm willing to extend her overture and talk about how these small schools where you have professors that actually know your name and care about you and have the, um, you know, the, the uh, many of them are uh, alums of the institution and they have Tuskegee in their heart or they have Morehouse in their heart and they have a heart for uh, teaching young black men um, and women. Hey, consider those schools that were that were made and designed to try to help edify you. Yeah. Yeah. Most
0: definitely, most definitely, and one of the things that I always point out to people, especially when it comes to these HBCUs, because of uh, their historical context and you know, like you said, the their origins and and purpose for being uh, created and started, is the nurturing aspect of it. It's you know, it's 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 almost like putting your child into a you know a Montessori of sorts, where it's or uh, going to a Montessori because because things are you know, for the most part tailored around nurturing the students there, whether you're black, white, or otherwise, because I guarantee you, i I know people that are going to PWIs, which are called predominantly white institutions for the main purpose, because majority, predominantly majority of their uh, enrollment is not people of color. The minorities on campus are the minorities on campus. But at a historically black college or university, it is because they were specifically started only for black people because we could not go to any of the other schools that were around. So, um, what was the point I was trying to make? <laughs> yeah.
1: yep.
0: Oh, it was, you know, I, I know, like, oh, that's what I was saying. The it, I know people that went to PWIs. We all know people that went to PWIs. Um, where, and, 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 um, uh, people, have told me their experiences at, and i know my experiences at tuskegee i know other people's experiences at many other hbcus i know people's experience at pwis and my largest class at tuskegee was maybe 30 or 40 people the largest hbcu is nca and t and i think one of their largest class may hold maybe 60 70 people and those are gonna be you know your core your core classes you know your englishes your maths and things of that nature But then you go to a PWI and you got a hundred people in your English class. Your professor doesn't teach it at all. You got a PA teaching your class. And, you know, that whole rigmarole of the the, the, the higher education system. And I know for a fact that a lot of people would not. I'm not going to say that. I'm going to take that statement back before I even say it. But. HBCU prepares you in a lot of different ways that you are unaware of until you are out into the real world and a PWI in a lot of cases hinders you. And that's just my, that's my opinion. You can agree with it. You can not agree with it, but I, you know, I, I, I base mine off of, you know, personal experience and personal anecdotes from other people in in those said situations. But DJ, I'm going to throw it to you. Um, because I throw it back to Doc, but DJ, I'm gonna throw it to you because I know you work with a lot of people who, <laughs> who you know, probably yeah. have that Ivy League treatment to where you go, you go to Harvard and you can pay your money. And now is you, you went to Harvard, but it's like, what did you, what did you really? You know what? I don't even want to make that conversation because that might not be politically correct to go down that pathway. Would it? Would that be politically correct to start comparing? That you know that aspect of it, or what's the safe way of us to, for us to approach this landing? I
2: mean,
1: I, well, I, I think it's fair to, to say that the schools are, are different from one another and have different things that you know, different attributes that might be stronger at one school than another, and especially for uh, for black folk on campus. If you look at a lot of these schools now, you hear um, a, a lot of complaints from the African Americans who are there. About a lack of um, representation on the faculty within a well, I, upper level administrative positions. So, so I, you know, what I'm saying these are things that you it, don't tend to see at HBCUs,
0: right? So right, but so, I say it, but I say it in the, I say it in the, in the context of you know, like how people, how people, you know, have this, you know, the Ivy League, and we, 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 we all went, we went to Tuskegee and Morehouse, so we, we know what the Black Ivy League is. Oh. Mm. Is uh, you know, Tuskegee, Morehouse, Spelman, um, Howard, Hampton, um Fisk.
2: You know. Yeah,
0: Fisk. Uh I think it's seven total. But we you know, we know what that means, but then we also know the Ivy, League, which is Harvard, Yale, uh, Brown, and but <laughs> nah. then but then you, nah. you look at it and use like people put people nah. put on people put on their app you know, if somebody has a Harvard degree, it's often looked at like, oh, oh okay. Harvard. But it's like what did you Somewhere. really get from there? So let me but Let me let me, Tuskegee, let
2: me get here. It's prestigious. Well, let me I'm, get here I'm with biased. you. Come by. Let me Let me Let me get here with you. And here, here is the rub that will will not go away in the near future, but through uh, through time, matriculation and generations, hopefully it can. It's about what you take with you going into the university and it's about what you take away from it when you leave and what i mean by that is my grandmother graduated the third grade but i take her into every boardroom i've ever been in and my grandmother told me something very simple and i i live by it whatever you do do it like you're gonna have to write your name on it you see some things are so simplistic that they don't require any Ivy be put on it. If you do it like you got to put your name on it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter who you are. What matters is your work. So from a very young age, I was taught that the distinguishing factor would be the manner in which you did your work. Now, what Tuskegee gave me, now see, that's what I took to school with me, right? What Tuskegee gave me when I got there was the confidence to know that I belonged in any room I was in because I already did my work like I put my name on it. Tuskegee gave me the credibility and the confidence to say that you are now doing your work under circumstances, and it's not ideal. You are doing what other people are doing with less resources. And when you go into corporate, the first thing people are going to start telling you about is, we need you to do less with more. We need you to do less with more. Every year, you're going to hear that. We need you to do more less with less. more. More with less. You wish it was less with more. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry more I apologize. I, yeah. I apologize. I'm, living in a, I'm living in my fantasy world. Right. You know what I'm <laughs> talking about, dog. I appreciate it. We need you to do more with less. So I apologize. You're going to hear that every year. At a historically black college university, it is not that you're nothing is so subpar. Professors are excellent. Facilities are excellent. But you deal with real life. You deal with the breakdowns that happen when you have a corporation that can't finance that deal that they want to push through. At most uh, PWIs, You have state funding that's exceptional. You have corporate funding that's exceptional. Most historically, black colleges and universities are private, and that's the dirty secret that people don't necessarily tell you. So that funding looks a lot different. So you don't have that inflow of cash in the way that you would at another university. So some of the things are budgetary decisions where people are keeping universities open with accounting practices so your life is going to reflect a job more so than just a uh a degree program if you attend an HBCU you you are in the business of attending college that is your business that is your job this is not your kick it time this is you you, you can do it but you better be efficient as hell, because if you mess that up, it's a wrap. So the pressure and the responsibility get shifted to you a lot earlier in life at a historically black college university, and you learn to stomach those things. You develop a thicker skin. You develop an appetite for understanding how to handle pressure and how to thrive in those types of environments. So... For me, again, it's about what you take with you when you go there and what you take away. And again, what I took away was understanding how to thrive in less than ideal situations because the circumstances are not gonna always be great. So what does that create for an employer? It creates a situation where you have a person that thrives in the environment where adversity creates opportunity. So when situations are less than ideal, my performance is going to tend to be just a tad bit or extremely higher than that of my constituents because I do not require a perfect scenario to perform. That is critically important in today's society and economy because things are not important. Just thinking about what we've talked about tonight in terms of political correctness, that is not, that's not, that's not the perfect work environment. So what what do you want? Who do you want? What type of people do you want in your environment? Do you want people who are adaptable, malleable, and adjustable, and they are accustomed to difficulties, and they're going to grind it out and look for some advancement on the back end? Are you do Or do you want people walking into your organization that says that I deserve everything that you're going to give me and more. Not to say that they're wrong for saying that they're deserving, but are you willing to work for it? That becomes the question. And there is no political correctness on work ethic. And that is what I really want, you know, our listeners to focus on is that separation and distinction occurs on several different levels. And when adversity presents itself, sometimes it is for your benefit. And you have to tap into that resourcefulness that you've learned along the way, whether it be by struggle, by HBCU, by whatever, by by way of upbringing or whatever it might be. Tap into that thing that allows you to be comfortable being uncomfortable and use it to your benefit. Because what we take with us from those experiences are more valuable than we think. And we have to start employing that into the corporate world, into our business lives, and alike. We have to. Dr. Levin, do
0: you have a a rebuttal. I I I, I, yeah. I went off into a I went off into a dream world because I've been
1: uh, I kinda uh, like where this went, man. I you know, I didn't I honestly didn't see us going uh as deep down the H B C U path as we ended up uh going. But I'm I'm glad we did that. Uh and I hope that some people hear this talk that might have initially bristled when they heard the headline because most people don't read the story. They hear the headline and they make up their mind having heard the headline, right? And so if you don't know anything about HBCUs and you hear a person talking about um, uh, black people should really consider going to HBCUs and all you hear is well black people you know segregation is, is dancing or we need to self-se- self-segregate self you hear that you hear other folks sometimes talking about how you know it's it's not that uh, we don't want black people around it just seems like the black people s- tend to to segregate to themselves and you hear that a lot and uh um, uh, predominantly white institutions from people as a complaint when they talk about the black student union or when they talk about minority issues, initiatives on campus or when they talk about the minority faculty or even African American studies. They're like, well, there's no white studies, and, but, you know, these types of things, right? The things that come from from uh, places uh, <laughs> really what it comes down to is complete ignorance. And so I'm, I'm glad that we get to have we got to have this part of the talk specifically when it comes to HBCUs, because I think folks wonder sometimes why we are so proud of our HBCU affiliations and and the experiences that we've had. And again, as you know, when we talk about people being more important than things, the relationships more than anything else that we carry um, we carry the relationships that we, that we uh, established during those college years, and then you get to follow some people who've done some incredible um, things since then. And that just reinforces your belief in the institution, and, um, and, and it makes you want to uh, help other young people experience similar um, a, a similar feel to what you had. And so then that makes you want to tell people, hey, whoever you are, consider Morehouse, consider Tuskegee. You know, I remember when I was looking at all my schools, and I had pretty good grades undergrad, excuse me, in high school, when I was making my, my <coughs> decision of where I was going to go undergrad. And I talked to a lot of people about University of Illinois, about uh, Yale, about all these other places. um that had great reputations and um a a friend of mine from the tennis team his name was uh Jean-Pierre Batiste he's passed JP Batiste um told me that he was going to apply to Morehouse and I was like really I had, I was aware of what Morehouse was it was a black school and uh, but I hadn't really looked into it at all and he was like yeah man it's a it's a great school you should look into it but you know most of the folks that I was talking to black professionals at that time were not educated at HBCUs and so they were saying hey you're smart you should be looking at trying to go to one of these ivies that should be the thing that you should do JP was cool about everything he could act, do good dress cool. he had really a really high level of style in class and I was like shh if he likes it it's worth checking out and so it ultimately j uh j p chose Tuskegee, and he loved it, but the fact that he thought that bornhouse was so great man i I looked into it, ended up applying, got a scholarship, everything um worked out uh well but there was a gentleman, dr Cross was his name. About all of the other schools, people talked about how it was a good school and this, and my grades were great. But he said, he said, if Morehouse will have you, then you would benefit, and it would be your best decision you ever made to go there. And I was just like, wow, I've never heard an endorsement like that. And so when you think about the transformative um, impact that these institutions have had on the lives of, of black folk, then you can understand why, uh, why why we promote them so much. And it doesn't mean that, um, you know, I, I got my Ph.D. from Texas Tech. I love my Texas Tech situation. I'm a red um as much as anybody else is. I, I put blood, sweat, and tears into that institution. I send them money, too. And so, I, you know, it doesn't mean that I don't care about that, that um that affiliation as well, right? I'm I'm a Red Raider as well as a Maroon Tiger, but you got to you know, you got to know where that where that um that passion and that fervor for the school comes from. It's because of the impact that it has on folks who the majority um institutions were not designed to help. And these institutions um were designed to to directly impact the lives of black people in a positive way, and they've been doing so for centuries, or you know, over a century in most cases, and and so folks are folks are gonna be passionate about that, and I hope, and, and we see that young people, even young athletes, are choosing to go to schools like Grambling and and other places that have strong athletic programs, but also have strong um, academic programs, and they can have, and they have a focus on on um, on the lives of and, and the advancement of, of black folks in ways that other institutions have not focused on. That's all it is. And well, so, well, well, Doc, we're here with that. Yeah.
2: Well, Doc, even 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 to piggyback on what you're saying, like one of the things, and, and this is a different. Tangent, but it's the it, uh, around the same vein. From an economic standpoint, what percentage of football teams are made up of African American males in 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 the NCAA? Oh,
1: what percentage? You know what? I don't know what the percentage is. I'm just gonna say
2: I will go eight. No, no, it's it's oh, no, no, it's, 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 a, it's above the 80s. It's it's low 90s. OK, so we're talking low 90s, right? Uh, high 80s, low 90s. And when you think about that, you think about how, again, I said in the, in the earlier show that politics is the art of making a decision until it no longer matters. Why did we desegregate? Did we do that because we felt like it was the right thing to do for all people? Or did we do that because there were economic benefits around it? So, if we think about that, we have a situation you know, where I know I do know you 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 think about that, and we go into a situation where, okay, if you have two butchers in town and you're splitting the revenue between one population that's growing, because we're not killing them anymore, they're growing, and they're going be sharing, they're going to be sharing that income with their butcher. And we're going to be splitting our income with ours. We've told them traditionally that they can't even come here. If we give them access to it, they will alienate the person they've been going to this entire time to simply do what they, what we said they couldn't do. So you have to understand that psychology plays a huge part in this. So we end up at some of these universities because we've been trained or we've been told Over time, and look, there are major programs and that's how you get to the NFL and you get your money. I get that. You wouldn't get there if you went to Grambling or Tuskegee, Alabama State, even though I don't don't like them, or Claflin or Florida A&M or what have you. You wouldn't get there if all that same talent exported itself to historically black colleges and universities, what would the revenue stream then look like? Those revenue streams would create opportunities to hire additional professors, increase facilities, and do all those things. But we are still struggling from a psychological standpoint from the fact that access and opportunity has been created in in a vacuum and a lane that does not look like you so you go where you need to go to get what it is that you you you're trying to you're trying to create an outcome so these kids are making decisions based on a likely outcome if they were to mobilize or we were to create a situation to allow them to mobilize if they went to historically black colleges universities They would end up in the same positions and predicaments that they otherwise would be in at a University of Alabama, Auburn, or what have you. Because high 80s, I think, is between 88 and 90% of the football teams are African American or people of color. We have the authority and the ability to do whatever it is we want to do, we have no plan
1: i think that's a i think that's a fair critique i mean i feel like uh i feel like that's a um a fair critique when you think about the decision making uh um, Process for a young athlete, a young student athlete. A lot of times, especially if they're coming from a background where they, uh, you know, they their parents don't have money and they're first generation college educated. Well, by definition, those people don't have an experience with an HBCU at all. They haven't had one in in, in many cases. You know, they might not have anybody in their um immediate family that's gone to college and sometimes not even in the extended family. And so um the uh the large school, the uh the Alabama, the Auburn, those schools are going to be the ones that are likely to jump out as uh the preferred institution for those folks Cause those are the ones that you see the most, you know. I play football, and so I live in, and I'm, you know, live in Alabama. Or I'm from close to Alabama, or well, even if I'm not from close to Alabama, I want to win a national championship. And they're like Alabama's where you go, right? It's a, it's, and so the decision, um, for the for the student athletes that have the you know, the wherewithal to study into this and sort of make a, a decision that's a less common decision, I applaud them. That's not something that people are just automatically, that you automatically think folks are just going to make uh, that type of decision. It's usually a deliberative one that, uh, that gets you to that place, which I think is really cool. I think it speaks well to a person that's getting ready to embark on, a in many in many cases, a liberal arts type of education where you're expected to do some thinking and and develop a world view and all the rest of this type of stuff it impresses me that even before you started at school you started thinking about things that might not have been um right in front of you by virtue of the fact that you know your parents went to certain schools, or you've been surrounded by professionals who who were successful because of these institutions and all the rest of this type of stuff, is like, hey, this is this is where I'm going with it. This is what I thought through, and I I landed on on Grambling or FAMU and or uh you know a Hampton, and I mean they have some tremendous uh, alums who have come out of those schools and done exceedingly well in the NFL. So to your point, Destrian about how If you've got that talent, um, you're going to be able to make it pop from any of these places. That's true and increasingly true nowadays where more games are televised. We have so many channels now and so many things that can be streamed, you know, if you're if you're a good player, you're gonna get some play. You're gonna get some shine on you know some level of television. Now it might not be network TV at prime time like it would be if you're at one of these top programs, but people are going to be able to see you. And also, if you're thinking about you know what happens after your athletic career and you have go to one of these schools that has a strong commitment to educating young black uh men, which is you know it, what a football team is going to be composed of and and you can get something that will help you for the rest of your life even after uh your your body can't play pro pro sports or whatever man that's that's a special thing and that's not to say you can't get those same things from uh predominantly white institutions too i'm right. just saying they're right. thinking about those things and that's what's going to um, th- that's what's going to lead to you making a quality decision here. No,
2: know? no, I, I com- I
1: completely agree with you, and I think.
0: Yeah, real, real, real quick, real quick, DJ, I, I, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw it sure. back to you. I wanna, I wanna put that disclaimer that they put at the bottom of like, uh, what they put at the bottom of legal commercials, like, no, the re- no representation is made that the quality of education at the HBCU is greater or sub- more superior than the quality of the education at the PWI. Granted, we are biased, oh. but we are not trying to say that you should not go to where it is. Because let's be honest, we got a lot of uh, people of color that are from states like Tennessee and New York that have implemented free college tuition for
2: uh, absolutely, for and, they, tuition. and they should they should take advantage of it hundred
0: wholeheartedly. I would never tell you to put yourself into a situ a financial situation just to appease the right. greater the, the, the greater yeah. the greater uh uh the greater good Man. saying hey go to an HBC
2: because you believe well look if the, if the school the right down the street is shall free, I not move? Go. Shall I not move? University of Delaware and University of Pennsylvania is within our purview. And uh my argument with my wife has been this I love Tuskegee. I love it. I absolutely love it. I love what it did for me. I love the people that I met there. We wouldn't have the family that we had. We have if it wasn't from them. However, however, as a parent, your job is to position your children for the best available opportunity. If that opportunity is Tuskegee, so be it. If it's Howard, Howard, so be it. If it's Florida A and M, so be it. But if it happens, if it happens to be Stanford, so fucking be it. That's, that's not my that's not my life to live. It's not my journey to have. And I think we we have to make the best decisions for our children too. And so when I talk about the fact about athletes having uh quote unquote a voting block in terms of where dollars go it's going to take the very best of our athletes to turn that around. It can't be, and it's no knock on anybody else. It can't be the C-plus players. They they won't change the narrative. It's going to be the the A-plus players saying, no, nah, it's going to be a Grambling for me. It's going to be a Tuskegee for me. It's going to be a Morehouse for me. It's going to be an A&M for me. And when those revenues start flowing into those programs, look at those coaches, man. Look at what those coaches are being paid at those major programs. They when you saw, have a football, uh, pro- ten million. I, I don't
0: mean in you, but I just saw a list of uh, Texas high school coaches. The top thirty, I want to <laughs> say it was like top twenty-five or top thirty mm-hmm. high school coaches in Texas mm-hmm. all make over a hundred thousand dollars. It was it was from a hundred, it ranged Man, from a dollars to one hundred and fifty-five thousand. That's high school. Nick Saban, I know,
2: making millions. Nick Saban is between eight and a half and ten. I want to say it's ten because he has a clause in his contract where he has to be one of the top three paid coaches in college football. And Dabo makes play. eight, so I think he's at ten. He's over ten. This is this is a college program, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. Eighty, eighty-five, eight. I'm sorry, eighty-eight to ninety percent of the student-athlete population that is fielded as a product is African-American or people of color. Mm. I want you to let that sink in. The NCAA is a (laughs) non-profit organization. So is the NFL, by the way. Mm -hmm. Bigger bigger criminals. But the NCAA is a non-profit organization by which these student-athletes, yes, they're on scholarships, but if they're hungry and they can't eat at night, their coach can't even buy them a sandwich. I couldn't buy them a sandwich, they would be in there, they would be ineligible. But these are the same people, their faces, their images are generating hundreds of million dollars of revenue per year. If though if half of that 80 plus percent the top half stayed back and went to historically black colleges, what would that revenue stream look like? But I want you to really think about it in terms of what has been created. I can't go to the University of Alabama, and you know, A.J., I'm a big Bama fan, because I can't go to the University of Alabama in 1955 or 1942. Where do I want to go? It's just my hope and dream and my wish and my prayer that I can get into where? I'm going to say the University of Alabama. (laughs) There you go. Uh, You got a PhD. You're a pretty smart guy. So Tuskegee is available to me. Alabama State, again, can't stand them, is available to me. And they do great things, by the way. Um, But all of these other universities are available to me. But it's human nature to want what you're not supposed to have. Mm -hmm. So once I take down the barriers, and I say, well, look, you can come here if you want to. Why would you go to that place that you were forced to go to? That's what we've done for over 100 years. And what we've done is create an economic empire for, for folks that have no interest in your community. You got to change the narrative. I don't know if it'll change quickly, if it'll be slow. But all it takes is one or two. In this day and age with information, social media, the ability to get your information out there, if we just had one year where the recruiting class said, you know what, I'm going to, quote, unquote, make a woke decision, we're all going to HBCUs, it would be a wrap. Hundreds of million dollars of revenue would change. You got USC with their own channel, Texas with their own channel, these universities are making $100 million a year on, on television rights. Tuskegee can use that. AJ, if I'm not mistaken, we have the most land of any HBCU in the country. I think we, I think we do, and we also,
0: do, uh, I think we still are the only HBCU where our, pretty much our entire campus is uh, mm-hmm. designated as a National Historic Site.
2: As a National Historic Site why can't you benefit from that? You know why you don't have the pool of the student athlete to demand the corporate dollars. You have the intellectual capital and that's all they're going to give you. You know it. So we, we need to mobilize that. We definitely need to mobilize that. But um, outside of that, man, we're at a place as, as a culture where we really need to see the value in ourselves, like we have to stop waiting for popular, uh, for popular culture or the broader society to place the proper valuation, so to speak, on us as a people. The price is called priceless. Being black is fucking priceless. And if you don't feel that way, then you're deteriorating the brand. And if you don't uphold the standards by which you are priceless, you're also. So we have to hold each other accountable. So when you see bullshit, you have to call it out. When you see this bogus behavior from our young men, our young women, you have to call that out. And you have to point them to appropriate um, role models. Because if I hear another young girl at a school that I volunteer at tell me Meg Thee Stallion or Cardi B is their role model over a Michelle Obama, I have a huge problem with that. Now, Michelle hold Obama... Hold on, hold on. Real quick, real quick, real quick. Because man, you better not plug Meg Thee Stallion.
0: No, no, no. I, no, I, I am because <laughs> she, she, she is making her money. But, exactly. She is also heavily advocating and letting people know, look, I'm out here twerking and rapping, but I'm also going physically to school. That's something you know what I'm saying.
2: So, uh, I, uh, look, I'm just saying. You look, have a I daughter. daughter you have a daughter. We're gonna get to the crux of this right now, immediately. Point blank. Look. Period. do you, you
0: want your daughter? Look. Hey, hey, hey! Look, this is hey, <laughs> the after show, but I'm gonna keep. I'm gonna keep it real. Okay. Motherfuckers gonna twerk. Whether 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 made the stallion tell them to or whoever tell motherfuckers gonna twerk, but I'd much oh. rather have my daughter listen to somebody who is twerking and also advocating saying, listen, I'm out here twerking, okay, but I'm using I'm uh, look I'm 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 going to school, I'm getting my education, and I'm also doing it at an HBCU. We look okay, look, we, and 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 as we progress, we have to get into that realm of look because. We uh, all, look. We all we're know good. that we to be the old men on the on the block where it's like, hey, we're man,
2: you know we're, 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 we're that? good. We're good, bro. I said this earlier. At some point, you got to get beyond agreeing and find a way to understand. I understand what you're saying. Now, <laughs> I don't I, look, <laughs> look. I don't agreeing. have to agree with everything. Exactly. I'm
0: not saying I want it's her. Right. To agree. Right, right. Model. But I, but, but I also but I don't want to discredit people. You understand that that's a, a
2: viable of, option for exact. that generation in general of, people. A,
0: and general Look, and there's, there, a lot of, there's a, there are a lot of worse people that you could Absolutely. put on a pedestal. But if I had to choose, I would say, you know what? She's not, she's not a bad role model because while she is doing this and the outfit she wears, I may not agree with for my daughter.
2: But uh, she's I, mean, I, for, I don't mind. I don't mind any of that. the The point. The the, the case in point is that has to not be our starting point anymore. We tend to start from that point. We start from the least common denominator of, okay, it's not the worst thing we can do. No, I want the standard to be excellent. I want you to start from the standard by which all of us should be measured. And if that happens to be the aim for the X and land in the Meg and, Land in the Megan. Okay, cool. But aim for the X. Aim for the Michelle. Okay? And if you're a brother, aim for the Barack. Land in the whomever. The Trevor Noah, the whoever. I don't know. But. Here, but no point. that
0: brings up that brings up the great conversation is why are we putting all these normal people on pedestals, man, just because they're on the public eye. Jeffrey Down was on the public eye, but we ain't put him as no role model, man. Look up to the well, man. That, not, look up to the black business owner that's local that you can talk to. You
2: know him. Your family you know, been near I, house, he I had agree with him. I that's agree with that. No, it's the same conversation. In order to get there, you have to start somewhere, and to change the narrative. You have to even get us at a point where we're willing to give our best and brightest a chance to be regular. If, I'll give you an example. What can, uh, in the words of Fox News, what can Mr. Obama do wrong and live tomorrow? With Nothing. A tan suit. Nothing. With so, a tan suit. if you're going to get killed for that, and then that becomes the person that you follow in the media. Like It's a turn off to people um, of color who are trying to aspire to certain things because unbeknownst to a lot of people, people pay attention to that scrutiny. And they don't want that, they don't, they don't want that energy. The same way we say keep it's that same energy, well, you, you ain't got to watch that. You can, just, you can just watch news in general and it's this, that, and the third, not just him. I'll use our current president, like him or not. Every time you turn the news on, there's something negative about what he's doing. Now, while I don't agree with all of his policies, everything he has done has not been all bad. We need to learn to give credit to people when they are making progress. But here's the thing, if I kill
0: kill 500 innocent people in order to save one
2: child. Am I a good mm-hmm. person? Am I mm-hmm. a good person? So, in that scenario, I judge you accordingly on that scenario. But I also have to understand that what comes across your desk is a litany of decisions every day. And what I'm not going to do, the same way, like, the, the, the same love and the same energy that I'm trying to give to, you know, the positive black man, I'm trying to give to any positive person in general. So, it's when you're wrong, I'm going to hold you accountable for it because that's what I do as a person. That's what we got to move to. So when you're when you 45 or, or, or you're, you're effing this all up, hey, man, you you, you dead wrong. What are you thinking? 500 uh, people died because you was trying to be arrogant. You wrong. But at the same token, when you say, hey, I'm going to try to find a better deal for trade or what have you, I can get behind something like that because what I understand is the greater good. Oh no! I don't the have stock f- prices were dropping like panties, man. I'm gonna tell you something about that. Those stock prices also dropping because the Fed is not doing their proper job. Correct. You can't continue to lower rates in an environment that doesn't need deflation. So you gotta let the, you gotta let you gotta let the stock market take its medicine. These so things are. So I, know, I,
0: encourage, I encourage everybody to watch the nightly business report on PBS every evening. If you do not have TV or cable, you can find the day's episode on YouTube, usually a couple mm-hmm. of hours after it airs. That, in my opinion, is a non-biased uh, mm-hmm. look at truly what affects business, commerce, and economy
2: <coughs> right.
0: on a daily basis, literally every single day. Right. Uh Sue and uh I think his name is Bill. I you know yeah, man, they get it I make, they it, get I it, it, I make it my business, I I make it my business to watch that, you know, just to get a look at a, a well rounded, unbiased, non sensationalized, uh non uh just it, it's not it's not news, it's facts. It's not a lot of opinion in it, it's literally the numbers are here. This is what happened. This is how it happened. This is why it happened. And here's Sprinkle being a little bit of uh opinion based on facts, not rhetoric. But I just wanted to throw that in there for you know for our business mind. Yeah, no, it makes
2: it makes sense. It since, makes, sense.
0: Since, we, since we uh you know, we we talking about that. But go ahead.
2: No, it it, make, it makes sense, man. I I don't wanna be be the be the dead horse or be on the soapbox too long. It's just that We have to separate some things, man, and we have to understand decisions that are um, economically and uh, politically based that are going to impact our community. And we have to also understand our feelings. Our feelings may not directly align with decisions that we have to make, but do they align with the ultimate goal? Ultimately, mm-hmm. it's, it's like the
0: conversation you and I have had before. I don't think um, we've had this conversation with Doc, but it was, you know, that 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 time I sat down and I talked with an older gentleman who was nothing like me. We had zero things in common, from what right you know, from outside looking in. Right. And we we I, I literally it's one of the most genuine human experiences I've ever had in my life. While little, and granted, we were at a bar, so of course we were drinking. So libation always makes things a little bit. Uh, more loose, um, but it it was it was it was so genuine in that from the outside looking in you could not have told me that I would have enjoyed the conversation that I had with the gentleman as much as I did, and that we would have had so much in common. From the outside looking in, It's a it quite old dj. I think I might have mentioned it on here before. I, I'm not sure. I might have. Um, but it was just engaging in the human experience, like dj always says. And that's you know that's kind of when we we started that com- uh, talking about just engaging in the human experience where you talk to people from a genuine and open minded perspective of let's sit down and talk much like we do here on the Bradrum Podcast. Like I said, we are three totally different individual people. We have a lot in common. Uh, you know, from the outside looking in, you can obviously tell that we are all three black men. Uh, if you dig deep enough, you know, into our social media and things of that nature, if you can find us, you'll find out that we are, we're, we're all husbands and uh, and fathers, and, we you know, we're working people. We're business owners and things of that nature. So there's a lot of... Um, surface level commonality that we can see and find amongst ourselves, but then when you get down to things, that's when you start finding the core of people and their character, and I think oftentimes, especially when it comes to political correctness, uh, politics uh, rubs people the wrong way in terms of character, because just because I don't agree with you politically, I should not Automatically deem you a person unworthy of my conversation, compassion, communication, or collaboration. And I'll say that again. Just because we do not agree politically does not mean you are not deserving of my communication, my collaboration, uh, and two other C's <laughs> that I say. I, like, I was about to be impressed.
2: I was hey, about to it be sounded, impressed. It if you made it through communication, it.
0: collaboration. Communication, collaboration. It was, it was two more C's. It was
2: conversation. Conversation,
0: Man, Com- was conversation. communication,
2: Com- communication, collaboration, and conversation. It was
0: three yeah. C's. Triple C's.
2: That's it. That's now, better. Well, you, you
1: I, boy, I was. You're about to hit him with a whole Jesse right there. Hey, that was a hey, whole look. Jesse backing right there. <laughs> I'm back on. With alliteration. Hey. In this year of degradation.
2: I am somebody. Somebody, I am.
0: <laughs> Rhyming words.
1: Uh, Shit turns.
0: Um, but yeah. No. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so close. Hey, <laughs> so close. Hey, look, it's the after show. It, yeah, hey, hey it yeah.
2: is what it is, man. This is cheesy. <laughs> we gonna we almost got, got out of here. Out of here. We,
0: wait, we Yeah, we, we hey, better. We, we better. almost did. We almost got out of here.
1: Yeah. Well.
0: We almost yeah. made some sense of it, didn't we? I think yeah, that's Frank yeah. natural. The boy Jack Goody uh, sampled that on a wonderful track on one of the Bowtie Lives. I need to go back and listen to it. Uh, that was a previous day. In my life, um, I'm going to take this final sip of the Uncle Nero. Shout out to Uncle Nero. Y'all find it in your local stores. Yes, I'm puffing it. No, they are not supporting this podcast. Maybe they will. Let me talk to Fawn Weaver.
1: Yeah, maybe. If
0: anybody knows, put us in contact. Y'all know we're looking for sponsors. We drink, it. We drink uh, DJ is consistently. Right
1: on the uh, oh, I'm gonna be angry with Hennessy if they don't on the on, on the right. seas of Hen. <laughs> it's I, I consistent just, with man. it,
0: man. Uh, but you know, L V L V M H is such a conglomerate that you know mm. it, it seems very far fetched. They own everything, and I mean, if you yeah, don't know in terms of yeah, business, got... look up L V M H. They own everything.
2: Hey, Tim, pile at me, man. I need you to hashtag them. You done did everything with everybody um we uh we follow you expeditiously. Why don't you come over here to the brethren and uh and and, get, and give a little love, man. Come on.
0: Well, yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is Brethren Podcast. This is what we do. We are pleased, honored and appreciative of your support uh thus far and ongoing. Um but final thoughts and to leave you with this before we close this thing on out because we for one We know we're not consistent, we know we're not, we admit that, but heavy is the head. We wear a lot of different crowns over here, and we're not fighting over the throne because we all three got thrones, but we, when we do commit to doing what we do, and we do present it to you all, you can guarantee that it's 100% real, honest, and true. We do not sugarcoat this. We do not script this. We do not plan this. We are not endorsed by anybody. Although we will take endorsements from certain companies, we'll align ourselves. Like DJ always says, we we will align ourselves. We are not ashamed to align because, like we have said in this conversation about political correctness, uh, you know, we we didn't do a lot of talk about microaggressions. We we really honed in on that political correctness because we know the times we're living in it's 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 a very it's a very sticky time where people are walking on eggshells and communication and collaboration is at an all time low in my opinion because people are dead set on not uh collaborating and communicating with people whose ideals do not one hundred percent align with them and once they if they are aligned with you once they find out that one of your points on your agenda does not match theirs, all bets are off. And as much as we want to, you know, be steadfast in our uh, in our non-negotiables, sometimes we need to reevaluate, especially at different intervals in time when progression comes about. It's like, hey, okay, I've had this agenda on, under my belt for five years now. Let's go back and reevaluate. It's just like a driver's license. Time to get it renewed. Let's make sure that these are still the things that we want, and these are still the outlines and the bylaws and the guidelines that we're going uh, to work with. And if somebody, for lack of a better term, violates or does not agree with one, two, and four, then all bets are off. But if somebody has a differing opinion with any of the other ones that were mentioned, and we work through it. We communicate, and we 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 work through it. We talk, and I think that's that's ultimately the the like like DJ says, it's the crux. It's that it's that it's that linchpin. It's it's conversation. Being able to have the discipline to sit and listen to someone else's opinion without letting emotion fully control. Your response and or your reaction is a hell of a thing. Not many people can do it. People that can do it, those are possibly some of our greatest leaders. But Dr. Levin, I'll throw it to you, DJ, I'll throw it to you, we'll close this thing on out so I, we can go take care of our... Uh, fatherly and husbandly responsibilities as they pertain to ourselves.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't have a lot. I just want to say um
0: people are more the, important than
1: uh, things. They're, they're poor, obviously. <laughs> of course, people are more important than things and in that vein, I like to tell the people out there to uh support your um your historically black colleges and universities. I think mm-hmm. today um if you de- didn't have uh, I mean in this there's a there's a documentary called uh what is it, We Are Rising, I believe, that talks about um the development of the historically black college and um or in, in university in the United States and I think that's uh that's a great um a great watch for people who might be uh legitimately interested in how um historically black colleges came about. Um but I think that it's also um and an important thing for people who do recognize and know about HBCUs that, uh, you know, you can you can contribute. You can you can do that deal where you set up a birthday contributions for any um, uh, not for profit and um, you can pick an HBCU and you don't have to be black to do that. And that's the thing that I think people uh, that I do want folks to walk away with. Historically black colleges and universities in the United States of America, even though they come from a a difficult past, are a a great asset for our country and a great – they represent people who bring a great opportunity um, for not just themselves but for the entire country, right? And so the the human capital – that is that is um, created and fostered and developed within these institutions is is extraordinarily important for making our nation a better one. And it's important for everybody to recognize that and for whatever way that you can contribute to making uh, making those institutions uh, better, it's going to reflect itself and um, and our nation becoming better, and so I would encourage you to do that so I'm, that that's what I wanted to use my time for for to to talk about that particular type of support, and I'm optimistic that there will be some people out there who will hear that and remember that there was a check that they that they meant to send, and they're going to send it now, so thank you indeed,
0: Brother wills.
2: What can I say, man? Um I am a product of a historically black college and university. I am also a product of a uh of a racially segregated city, state, um, that has a troubled history with trying to rationalize equal opportunity for, for, for people of color. And for all intents and purpose, and for all intents and purposes, the underserved—not just people of color—but if you are a uh, Caucasian or, or, or American and you don't have the economic means, then you fall right into the same category. My closing remarks will really focus on finding common ground in the things that we can understand about each other as opposed to fight about and disagree over. There is much more that we can be understandable about and find a way to, uh, to mend some of the relationships that have been broken through time and systemic issues than we think. We further have an opportunity as a people and as a culture to redirect our youth and our next generation in such a way, based on information and technology and the things that are available to them to help them be more efficient, more effective, and smarter um, stewards of capital, create more business owners, and create more commerce amongst ourselves than we're currently doing. That responsibility rests on an entire generation and an entire community of people that look like us. It's incumbent upon us to continue to enhance and develop the relationships that we have been building and to really figure out who are your allies and who are the people who are along for the ride. We owe that to the people that are next so that we can hand over the proper Rolodex to them. Um, And finally, what I would say is that we also owe it to ourselves to explore the best of what is next for us and to really push the envelope and use the exact tactics and strategies that we're talking about on this call tonight with our constituents to make sure that these opportunities are being created because it's it's more than lip service. We have to be, We have to be men of action, and we have to be a group of people that are mobilizing ourselves for action. So in the grand scheme of things, our agenda has to be two-pronged. We have to take action, and we have to execute, but we also have to educate. So execution and education has to become our main focus, executing on the things that we need to do as the folks that are in a position to make change today and educating those that are coming after us to pick up that mantle and move forward. We need continuity between generations as opposed to these gaps and these lapses of, um, of some type of systemic change. So those are my closing remarks on tonight. I really appreciate the conversation and the dialogue, It's been far too long since we got together and hopefully schedules will uh, be accommodating so that we can do this on a more frequent basis and and get back to our regular schedule program. So thank you both. I appreciate you guys. Most definitely as always I appreciate both of you all for taking the time and
0: effort to uh, embark on this journey with me. I've said it multiple times. I will always say it. I won't stop saying it. Um, Maybe we start Dropping bites instead of the the full length versions that we are releasing to people. I know that you know the people that listen and support us are appreciative of the the content that we are dropping. But to suffice some others, maybe we maybe we make our schedules land and drop smaller, shorter episodes with more. I don't want to say more substance, but you know what I mean. With just like a bang, here you go real quick without us having the. The full you know roundtable discussions that we have here on the Brethren podcast, which we are so well known for um but in terms of this conversation, I like to take I like the turn that it took because we have a platform we will use it at our discretion that is a non-negotiable for us, and I am speaking for us because I know it I know it is one of ours you know that's that's on our agenda we have a platform we will use it. We're all products of HBCUs. We know the condition and the state that HBCUs are currently in. And we will not take it lightly and we will not take it sitting down. So we will use our platforms to educate, enlighten, and expand. There go three E's right there. Y'all added those three C's earlier. Mm -hmm. Call me baby Jesse. Um, But for us here at the Brethren Podcast, we appreciate you all. Um, Go out in the world and do something good. Let's end on a positive note. Go out in the world and do something good. Have a conversation with someone tomorrow or the next day or sometime within the near future. Have a conversation with someone who is not like you. Purposefully do it. It may change your life. I know it did for me, and I do it all the time. <laughs> but this is it for us at the Brethren Podcast. I am AJ Wilson of MMBB. You can find me at mmbbgw.com. dot com. Doctor Loving PhD. You can find me at johnmellowing dot Wells of D Wells Consulting LLC. You can find him at d wells consulting dot com. And you can follow the Brethren Podcast on Facebook and Instagram at Brethren Pod, that's B R E A D like bread because we always about our bread. We always getting bread. Brethren, B R E A D R E N P O D on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us. Subscribe to our podcast on any platform that you can possibly find podcasts. And if you are using a platform and we are not on it, let us know. Communicate with us. We love to communicate with our followers. We often do on our Instagram and our Facebook. And then our personal uh, domains and email addresses, you can find them, if you can find us. But uh, that's going to do it for us here at the Brethren Podcast. we still chugging along in season two. This might be a long season, but we appreciate y'all for sticking with us. We love you all and good night.